Hi, this is Tom Murray, Mad Day Out photographer, listening to the Fab Four Free For All. And welcome to another edition of the Fab Four Free For All, the radio show on the internet or podcast uh, where we talk all Beatles, solo Beatles, and sometimes not so Beatles, but we have a lot of fun here. Uh, I am your moderator for this show, Mitch Axelrod, and joining me today are... Rob Leonard. And normally we'd have Tony here doing some silly accent, but um, he's under the weather, so unfortunately he can't be with us. So if you really want to hear a a really silly accent, watch the Beatle cartoons, and you'll hear those phony uh, Liverpoolian accents. You know, anytime we have someone from Great Britain on... Tony gets sick, as it seems. I don't and know, you're giving me? away our show. <laughs> no, that's not true. No, that's not true. And, but today we do have a third person with us, yes. uh, so you won't even miss Tony, really. Yeah. Uh, we miss him, though, but you won't miss him after you hear this show. On the phone, all the way from across the pond, and I'm not talking, you know, a little lake that we have here in New York, across the pond in the U.K., and if you live in the U.K., well, then maybe it is right across the pond, but... It's uh, a man that you know his photos. You may not know his name. You will after this show. But uh, you know his photos as some of the most iconic photos of the Beatles that have ever been produced. And oddly enough, there's only about two dozen of them, but they're incredible. Uh, We are talking today with Beatles photographer Tom Murray. Tom, welcome to Fab Four Free For All. Thank you very much. It's nice to hear from the States. I used to live out there, and it's a fabulous country. People said that I live in America. They now I live in New York and L.A., and I fly over the big bit in the middle. But I have visited an awful lot of the big bit in the middle because it's such an incredible country. Yeah, well, you know, after a while, after being interviewed by us, you might start talking like us, you know, forget about how you're doing. Yeah. You know? So uh, to stay true to yourself, even though you, you like New York. So. So let's get into this. Uh, you have a brand new book out called The Beatles' Mad Day Out, ACC Publishing. There was a yep. either a Kickstarter or it was a set-up funding for a really deluxe copy, 1,000 copies only. Is that right? Yeah, there was a 1,000 which are signed by the designer, uh, the editor, and myself. And um, ACC Publishing thought it was absolutely fantastic and decided to make a, a less expensive version so that Beatles fans could pop out and buy it. I think there's a couple of the big ones still left. They're a bit mean. I've only got two for myself. <laughs> <laughs> I might be out there buying a third one. But it, it's, it's a really nice book. We never thought there'd be enough images for a book because I didn't know, A, that I was going to photograph the Beatles, and B, because I didn't know who I was going to photograph, I only took one camera and two rolls of colour film. And after the shoot, I edited it down on the advice of Eva Arnold, who was a brilliant American photographer. She died one day short of her 100th birthday. Wow. She photographed people like Robert Mitchum, um, Marilyn Monroe and Malcolm X and Her Majesty the Queen, who I also photographed. And she said, darling, keep the best for your old age pension, chuck out the rest. So I threw <laughs> out the ones I didn't like. There's a couple I would still throw out, but I think Beatles fans would kill me, and I've never told anyone which two they are, and I never will. Oh, we'll have you tell you by we'll, the end we'll of the day. Yeah, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. You know, where can no, just... you'll never guess which ones they are. They're not quite perfect. <laughs> well, you know what? They're all, it's funny because you know Beatles fans. Everything is perfect to Beatles fans. We, we sort of all wear like Beatle-colored glasses. Uh, most of us sometimes so, yeah sometimes so it doesn't matter if it's the Beatles it's good so don't throw anything out and if you're going to throw it out 
Uh, I'll give you my address after the show, and we can, you know. Mitch, just... Mitch collects garbage like that. <laughs> <laughs> I think we all collect garbage. Yes, like we that. do. That, that was actually a problem in 1968 when I worked for the London Sunday Times magazine. We did find people who were going through the rubbish, pulling out pictures by quite famous strugglers. Then the reason we found out was someone came to be interviewed for a job at the Sunday Times. I said, that's a really nice picture. I said, tell me how you did it. And the guy, blah, 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 blah. I said, well, that's funny because it's my picture, <laughs> and I know you've been bin diving, so I think you should stop doing that. <laughs> that's pretty funny. So Never what... to be seen again, that young man. <laughs> yeah, where is he now? We don't know. He's never been seen. Dead. Okay. <laughs> Whoa. Yes, I got a friend called Guido to kill him. Well, so you have been to New York. Seriously. No, I, it, it did happen, and as a point of that, we had to start shredding things and spiking them, because people were going through the bins, picking up film that wasn't good enough, and they were sticking them in their portfolio. Wow. Uh, that's, Which that's... is not very nice, to say no. the least. No. So there was one quote that you had talked about in the book, and, I, and we'll get into the Beatles in a little bit, but I want to get a little bit into your background. And as a photographer in general, the one thing that stuck out to me was the quote, one day you will see what the camera sees. And I thought that was yeah. really, really interesting. So can you expound on that? Well, the, the thing was, when I started off in newspapers, and I was—I wanted to be a motor racing driver, but I can't drive quite fast enough. It was costing me a fortune. <laughs> so I decided, because I liked photography, I was 15, had the usual Kodak Brownie, which I left on a number 13 bus, accidentally. And I started in newspapers, and I actually learned to hand composite type. I learned to work the press and all of that. And because I got headhunted, I went to work at the Braintree and Whitham Times, which is a local newspaper that have all over America. American and Britain, and one of the photographers, Dennis Mansell, said, one day you'll see as the camera sees. And I said, what do you mean? He said, you'll work it out. And one day I came back and I said, I've realized I'm seeing as the camera sees. And what it is, the human eye edits automatically. It does it without you even thinking. Whereas the camera lens is fixed. If there's a tree growing out your head, the eye doesn't see that, but the lens does. And then I realized I had to look at what was in the little frame. You don't get anything more, you don't get anything less. And since then, that was part of why my photography is considered so good. I used to say it was all right. Now I know that my work is good. And over the years, I've actually started analyzing some of my work and some of the Beatles' work. And if you look at it, you can see how it's in third, this is designed this way, that way. But it took me almost two years to work that out. Now I do it automatically. When I look at people, I look behind them to either side of them. And one of the things that I did when photographing the Beatles is I tend to, even if I'm talking to you now, I would be looking to the left and to the right to see what's going on because that's how you capture those instant moments. And because it was film, you never knew what you were doing. I remember being filmed by a TV crew in New York and said, you must have seen some marvelous things. And I said, no, I haven't seen what I've been doing for 40 years. I said, why? I said, when I push the button, the mirror goes up, then the photograph is taken. I said, it's all anticipation. Yeah. Wow. And people think, oh, I thought, yeah, this is it. We didn't have digital. You didn't know what you'd done until you got the film back on the Monday. Well, speaking of digital, how, how do you think uh, as a photographer just coming to, um, you know, let's say it was 1968 and was digital, you'd have taken more than the two rolls of Oh, they just blast away like a machine gun mowing down people. And, and well, uh, well, that's <laughs> they, don't, they don't look. They don't look. They click. 
You have to look. When I teach photography, I, I don't, I'm not very pontifical about it. I say, look, if you do this, this, and this, that's what you will get. No more and no less. And I, I went to a friend's wedding when my mum was 93. And she said, that woman's taking a lot of photographs. I said, yeah. She said, but you don't do that. I said, no, I take the images that are right. So my mother, 93 and about five foot nothing, says, excuse me. How many images have you taken? They said 5,200. <laughs> oh, my son only takes about 180. Uh, <laughs> she said to my mother, is your son a wedding photo? She said, oh, yes, he charged $10,000 a throw. The lady went, oh, my God. Wow. Five th- yeah, and, it's but- pointless taking it if it's not right. And right. then some of my students oh, will fix it in Photoshop. And I go, uh. fix it in the camera. If it looks dreadful, it's not going to magically look better. Uh, that's true. They can take out some stuff, but it's still going to look like crap. Oh, yeah. You, you, I, I didn't know what I could say crap. You can say anything you want. But yeah. if it's rubbish and you go click, it's still rubbish. Yes, yeah. you can put in a different sky. Yes, you can change the people around. But it's rubbish. Yeah. So you had some encounters with the royal family as well, didn't you? Yes, yeah, strange enough, in the book, there's a picture I took. When I was at the Braintree and Whitham Times, where I learned how to see what the camera was, uh, my f- uh, friend Susan Acton, who was a reporter, we went to the Motor Show, which is a massive show every year showing all the new cars. And we went there, and who was there? Princess Margaret and Lord Snowden. <laughs> and uh, they were opening the Motor Show. Little did I realize that 10 years later, I would get a call from Kensington Palace, would I go and take some photographs of Princess Margaret and Lord Snowden? Well, Lord Snowden got me my job at the Sunday Times magazine, and I started on April the 2nd, 1968, because I didn't want to start April the 1st, because it's April Fool's Day, and I am slightly superstitious. <laughs> and... Um, Ten years later, there I was, photographing. And the Aston Martin that Lord Snowden is in is now owned by Chris Evans, a big DJ and radio personality in, in here, and he has a big collection of Ferraris, although he does paint them white, which I'm not very keen on. And I did have a Ferrari of my own. I think there's a picture of the book in my Ferrari with Mum. It's the only time she got in it. But if you look very carefully what I'm wearing, there's no way I could even sit down in those trousers, and I had to take the platform shoes off to dry. <laughs> but I was a lot thinner then, an well, awful lot thinner then. Weren't we all? So, so, you know, let's talk about, again, right before the Beatles, you were, 1968. What were the 60s like in 68? In well, London. It was amazing because young people began to hear music they liked. You used to only get it from a station called Radio Luxembourg, which was in Luxembourg, and the station would wax and wane, so you never hear it. And then we had the pirate radio stations, and I worked near one of them. It was Radio Carolina, 199. Then they had Radio London, and they were on ships that were anchored outside the three-mile limit, and they were broadcasting. They were broadcasting Buddy Holly, wow. Little Richard, Elvis Presley, and the B. And we used to drive down to the seaside at Clacton, and the guy would say, do you want to hear a Stones record? Flash twice. Do you want to hear a Beatles record? Flash three times. And they say, well, three times they flash will play another Beatles song. <laughs> and, of course, in the studio at the Sunday Times, when I eventually was there, we'd pick up every new album of the Beatles. And because the studio was designed by Lord Snowden, it was like a 30-foot greenhouse on the top of <laughs> Grayson Road where there's another... Lord Thompson had his offices there and he owned it. And sometimes his secretary would say, Mr. Murray, his lordship is having a meeting. Would you please turn that ruddy beetle stuff down? <laughs> <laughs> so we knew we were, we were onto something good. 
But the young people had money. They were going to coffee bars. There were jukeboxes with 45s. You would spend your money on the latest 45. Mm. And most of the 45 were the Stones and the Beatles. You could walk up the King's Road and Carnaby Street and you would see the Beatles on one side and the Stones on the other side because young people suddenly had money and freedom and clothes they liked. I mean, clothes that our family thought were outrageous. I mean, there were trousers that were so tight, there's no way you could sit down. There were flares <laughs> and velvets and jackets and floral shirts. And, and look at the stuff Ringo's wearing in the picture. Bright yellow floral shirt, blue coat, Paul's pink suit, which is fabulous. Well, that that was the the start of the young people having money. Of course, as a a child of the war, I remember when we still had rationing for sweets. The first time you ever had fruit from abroad was a banana. Everything was local. And then as the 60s started, you had this music coming out with so many great goods. And a lot of it was sponsored by what was happening in America. Mm. You, I mean, I always say to people, I think Elvis is the king. The Beatles are the four most famous boys in the world. And Michael Jackson's thriller smashed the idea of videos. His thriller video was epic, and no one's ever done a video like it. And my dear friend, Vinnie Price, he did the voice of it. And mm. it's an amazing video. It made pop videos into small movies. Yeah, well, and what, the Beatles started doing films, and yep. it just took off like a rocket. So you were 25 at the time, and yeah. uh, you had sort of a Beatle haircut, as we see in the in the book. But you yeah, were about cute then. <laughs> now I look like I should be getting work at Christmas. Ho ho ho! <laughs> <laughs> or selling uh, fish fingers. Captain Birdseye is here. <laughs> Everyone calls me Captain Birdseye. Home, which is a bit embarrassing. Well, as a person who has a grey beard, I understand. <laughs> yeah, Rob could yeah, also. Well, you know. <laughs> So, I've got more hair than most of my friends anyway, so I don't care. Yeah, we won't go there for me. But um, anyway... Oh, are you, are you follically challenged? As I'm, yes, I'm, I'm follically challenged. I'm horizontal. Tom, I'm not, so... Uh, yeah, I, I, I'm, I, I'm vertically challenged, horizontal. Listen, my joke is that I used to be six foot four and have hair, and then I said I do, and I got short, and then I had two kids, and I lost all my hair. So there you go. <laughs> well, there was, a, there was a married couple who were on uh, local television here in Britain. They'd be married for 80 years. Wow. And the announcer said, what's the, uh, why have you been married for so long? What's the secret? And the man said, two words. He said, yes, dear. (laughs) Very smart man. Well, my my mother buried three husbands. She buried my dad and two stepfathers. Personally? Or was it personally buried them? (laughs) Well, no, no. She didn't dig them up. She put them in the garden. They just have to die. (laughs) Well, the she way you said the Guido have, thing, you know, I didn't understand. Have seen the book and the rest of it, she'd have been quite thrilled. It's a pity she didn't see it, but she did get to have Princess Margaret and Lord Snowden come and have lunch with us one Sunday. She nearly dropped a brick when I told her who was. Well, I've invited <laughs> some friends for lunch. I don't know who. I said, Princess Margaret and Lord Snowden shut the door and was always screaming and yelling. <laughs> and we had to sneak them in to the farmhouse through the through the fields. There's a beautiful Rolls Royce coming back through the fields, and all the press are outside. And my mother said, shall I let the German shepherd out? I said, no, you can't have them eating reporters. <laughs> and uh, Prince Margaret and Snowden came with a lovely lunch. Then my mum went out and gave them all tea and cakes, and they said, where's the Royal Highness? And my mum said, well, you see the green Rolls Royce going up that farm track? That's them. They've been here. 
Oh, you're kidding. Wow. Mum always said, never be surprised who you meet. And as a little boy from Scotland, I've never been surprised who I met. When I went to Africa, I met the president of Zambia. When I was in South Africa, I met Prime Minister Henry Ford. I met the president of South Africa. I was never, ever surprised. And my mother said, just treat everyone as you want to be treated. The only shock was... No one told me I was going to be around the Beatles, and I was just originally going to drive uh, Don around. Well, that's and what... when I got yeah. there, we got to the rehearsal rooms. I said, oh, someone's playing Lady Madonna. And I went, oh, shit. <laughs> it's Paul McCartney. And George and Ringo were standing in the corner. There was John and Yoko. And I sort of went, oh, it's just a group. My voice went up about five octaves. Oh, yeah, didn't I say? And fortunately, the actual... Day has been misinterpreted. Everyone says we started the Sunday Times. Well, we didn't, because if we had started the Sunday Times, that's where I worked, I would have taken more than one camera and more than two rolls of film. I picked up Don McCullum, the world-famous wolf dog, at the Sunday Times. Then we went to the rehearsal rooms. And then off we went. And it was incredible. I mean, I spent a day with the four most famous boys in the world. I could do what I liked. I only had two rolls of film. And I ended up with what Christie said, the best colour photographs of 1968. Well, and I'm very pleased to say that both Paul and Ringo have signed my work and have used it for charity and have raised over £1.5 million pounds on my own in England. That's amazing. And around the world and have raised helped raise nine million for all these charities. Wow. It's, you know, so I wanna just give great. a little background for for what you had just said because you had a lot of information there. So on July twenty eighth, nineteen sixty eight, it was a Sunday, uh, having nothing yep. to do with Sunday Times, but it's a Sunday and Don McCollum is actually hired by the Beatles because yeah, he was hired by the Beatles because they didn't like the photographs that were out there. And he approached me and said, would I drive my own photographing a pop group? And I said, oh, well, I'm quite happy to because he's a brilliant photographer. It just so happens that my picture of the Beatles are nicer than his, but um, <laughs> my other work is not as good as his because he's quite brilliant. But So you were surprised. I had a Red X-150 Jag, and off we went. And we ended up at one of those old church buildings that is now rehearsal rooms. And that's when we walked down the hallway, it was suddenly I'm going, oh, there's a Beatles song. Opened the door and went, oh. So after, had, luckily I'd been doing photography for nine years and my brain kicked in. I thought, right, I can take some photographs outside and, and what I want. Right. Because I was there to help. And uh, it just ended up that uh, I ended up with some of the most beautiful photographs they've ever been taken of them and about six or seven of them I'm so thrilled they're almost they're almost perfect I don't believe in perfection but one of them is now Andrew Edwards who did the sculptures of the boys in Liverpool saw one of my images it's the boys on the roof where Paul is actually falling off the roof and we've done a miniature bronze of that which is actually on show in New York at the moment okay. and we're looking to have a full size one and a half lifetime size of that bronze in the centre of London at Old Street Station because the whole area is being redeveloped and mm. we went there on the 50th anniversary and we got a lot of press and it could be fantastic because Andrew's sculptures bring in 4 or 5% of the 85 million pounds a year the Beatles bring to Liverpool Wow! so I'm in museums and now I might be emblazed with bronze Wow! So this, ask Andrew could you make a little tiny one of me to put at the bottom of it <laughs> well Tom I got a question for you this, this was done on a Sunday. Yeah. Uh, was Sunday purposely picked as the day? Was 
things le- not open as much? Was there less people around compared to maybe today? Oh, Britain's closed on a Sunday in 1968. Okay, well... You were supposed to go to church, and if you're really good, your parents went to the pub, and then you went home. And that was one of the reasons. Uh, John initially wanted to go to Karl Marx's tomb in Highgate. Now, Highgate is an amazing cemetery in North London, but there's an area for very famous people to be buried that you have to get permission to go into. And one of the tombs there is Karl Marx, and it's a huge statue of his head and the rest of it. But of course, it was Sunday and it was closed. So on the way back, we ended up doing the photograph in Swain's Lane, where we stopped because everyone liked the yellow paint on the house. It was painted yellow windows, yellow doors. Right. And that was one of the first places we went. And funnily enough, we uh, went back there quite recently for the book and I knocked on the door and the people had a fit they went oh my god you're Tom Murray and said well you've got that picture in your hallway that was really good what was interesting is it took us two days to do what we did in one day that's how bad the traffic had got in 50 years and we managed to go back to all the locations and we got special permission to go back to one or two locations which are now private and it was just purely by coincidence we discovered that the plinth where the Beatles stood up there with Paul falling off the roof and John grabbing onto him in Old Street say the plinth still exists. Wow. It's part of a club at the moment. So that's why we're hoping, I'm um, contacting our local MPs to see if they'll push that because there's a competition with four architects to redevelop the whole area. I think it would be fantastic. Imagine a picture like that on top of whatever they're going to do, and that would bring in 5% of 85 million. That's pretty, it is a great, it's an iconic photo. But I I, I wanted to ask you... It's one one of my best, actually. Andrew Edwards is one of the few people that saw in it what I saw. I mean, it was one of my best. I saw what was happening. I thought, do I photograph Paul McCartney falling off the building and getting killed, or do I photograph him just before? So I photographed just before. Unfortunately, he wasn't killed. I could imagine going home to mum and saying, oh, what did you do today? I said, oh, mama killed a beetle. Come on. (laughs) Come on, it's just a joke. Yes. But I do have a question, though. You said that looking like them helped. What was that? You know, they were in the middle of recording the White Album, and that album... Yeah, I think, to be honest, I think the the, the great thing about it was, A, I'm their age. No one thought I knew what I was doing because I looked so young. Yeah. And they were just so relieved to be away from the studio. Because I'm sure making an album must be so stressful. I mean, they invented, ended up doing more tracks and appeared on the White Album, which is being re-released in November. So the Shh, we, no one knows that yet, Tom. In New York in November Shh. with Anthony's statue there. <laughs> and it must have been... But what was freaky is at the Old Street Station, this man comes up and I thought, you look very familiar. And he said, yes, I'm Mal Evans' son. Oh, wow. I said, you look like your dad. He said, yes, he drove the Beatles in George Harrison's Mercedes Pullman 600, and his son was in the front seat, and his son had several pictures of him in black and white with the Beatles. And that's the first time I'd met him for 50 years. And he confirmed what I'd always said, it was George's Mercedes 600 Pullman, because other people said it was not. He said, oh, yeah. And he said, it's in my dad's diary, and he showed me a picture of the diary. But he looked spookily like his dad it's like you know when you look at something you look like he said no Malevan son I went oh my god yeah, it's amazing it's to so speak sad. to him. It's like a piece of living history that he was there that day and he concurred in everything that I'd said. And people said, oh, no, it wasn't this, it wasn't that. It was normal cars. I thought, well, 
Mercedes long wheelbase, 600 Pullman, dark green. It's not a normal car. And I said, I was in a red XK150, which is not a normal car. <laughs> and he said, oh, he said, it, it was just amazing. It was like a sort of one of those greetings fest. I couldn't believe it was him and he couldn't believe it was me. It was really quite wonderful. In fact, standing there with Andrew's statue on the plinth, looking at the building behind, which is the same, I actually got very emotional. And thank goodness the person that was filming me wasn't filming at that second. I almost started to cry. It was just, wow. Well, that would have been good. 50 years ago, and I'm back here. It was very strange. And I took Andrew Edwards. He came to New York for the New York Expo. And I took him to uh, Strawberry Field. Yeah. And I took him outside of Dakota. And he and his wife got really emotional. We had to leave. Wow. Beatles fans are incredibly loyal. And they're some of the best fans in the world, quite honestly. They're very knowledgeable. Yes. And very loyal. We've, actually, at the thing at Old Street Station, we met our youngest fan, five months old. Wow. His mum and dad brought him to the event. And in Chicago, Beatles, we had met our oldest fan who was 97. Wow. It was great. Wow. <laughs> so you said that, that there were, you know what, there were other photographers there, but it, it also the, the Beatles, again, were in the middle of this stressful album, which we now know that they did a lot of tracks separately and everything, but and together as well. But what was the mood of the Beatles in general? And then other photographers were there as well. So why do your pictures stand out? I just think I'm better than they are, and Ooh. I didn't have a, I didn't have a brief. I could do what I like. That was the thing. The others I've seen some of their work, and it's not really that great. <laughs> and even Don in the Sunday Times admitted his pictures are not the best. I didn't have a brief. To me, I've often said it's a gift from God. If people get offended that I believe in somebody, it is a gift from God, which is why I did the charity work. I was able to just take what I wanted and what I saw. Would I have kept more than the 23 that I kept? No, because I didn't like them. Would I get rid of two of them? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> We've got to find those two. No, no, you'll never find them. You, um, you'll never know which ones they are. But, I mean, some of them are really... I mean, obviously, the one of the boys falling off the roof, fabulous. The one in the hollyhocks, Nowhere Man, yeah. Paul with the Fountain, the terrific portrait of George. They're all really good because I'd already had nine years of experience in photographing for magazines and newspapers. When I was in Africa, I won four international awards for my theatre photography. So... I had that eye. Had I known who it was I was going to be photographing, I'd have taken four cameras and black <laughs> and white film and color film and lights and an assistant and the rest of it. Right. But I didn't. So they... I could only do, I mean, Steven Spielberg, strange enough, said one of the things about using film is you have to make sure you've got it right the first time. That's yeah. true. And that's the thing. I've never seen what I've been doing for 40 odd years, but you have that anticipation. Well, I just wanted to ask you, you said there were other photographers there. Uh, how many others were there? I mean, was it... Was it easy? I, I, to be honest, I can't remember because my, my deal was just to drive Don around. So I literally drove around. I, I think there was a South African guy called Stephen Goldblatt. Yes. And one other guy. Uh, Don was the main yeah. photographer and he was supposed to do it. I mean, where I was okay. lucky is when we were leaving the Sunday Times to go to further, Don said, bring your camera, you might get some nice snaps. 
So no. he encouraged you, actually. So <laughs> Michelle tells me off for calling them snaps. So I now say, they say, what are your pictures? I said, they're the best pictures the Beatles ever taken in full color from 1968. <laughs> so, so you said George I'm not stood out. Anymore about saying it. No, you. Sh- well, they're good but, pictures. But they are. I mean, I'm th- I'm thrilled with them. They're still on show in in the gallery in New York, and we've blown them up to 30 by 40. And even then, when I go in again, I think, boy, these are really these are really good. <laughs> Now, you said George stood out. Why is that? I think there's just a certain personality about George. There, there was something about him that was, I don't know, it's because he liked the sitar, because he was a great fan of Ravi Shankar. And he was very, what one would call ethereal in this day and age. And Ringo was a hoot. Really? And the main two, Paul and John, were just bouncing ideas off each other. But my portrait of George, I just adore it. It, it captured in that him in that moment of stillness down by the River Thames. And I just love it. But then also I like the picture of Paul McCartney squirting water all over me because Paul realized I kept looking at him out the side of my eyes. Just a fabulous day. But the daft thing is I put them all in a drawer for nearly 20, 30 years. And I was working in New York and a whole bunch of us were planning a Sagittarius birthday party because I'm Sag. And there was five of us. And we came out of the restaurant. Someone was running by and said, Lennon's dead, Lennon's dead. I said, but Lennon's been dead since the Russian Revolution. I went, no, John Lennon. I went, oh. So we walked up the road and there were people in tears. The whole area around the Dakota was blocked off with police and sirens. And Time magazine, I went to see a friend of mine who works for Time. said, guess what I've got? It's a picture of John pretending to be dead uh, down at, at the docks. And they just thought it was too spooky. Yeah, so there's... put it away. There's a couple that are... Put it away. They didn't want it. So next time I was in L.A. and I was approached for, to do Project Angel Food, which is an, an AIDS charity that gives food to men, women, children who have no food. And they would also be delivered by celebrities. In fact, uh, Bette Midler delivered some food to one guy. And when he opened the door and saw it was Bette Midler, he fainted. So wow. they all had to say to the people, your food may be delivered by a celebrity. <laughs> Poor guy banged his head on the floor. And uh, we had to have sponsors. My friend David Hockney, who I've known since Sunday time, he donated a, a picture. And I said, oh, I'll donate something. I donated the one of John pretending to be dead on the ground. And we got $10,000 for it. But my sponsors were three people you might have heard of. Jack Nicholson, Angelica Houston, who I knew as a model before she was in the Adams family. And Lizzie Montgomery, who did Bewitched, who became one yeah. of my clients. And Lizzie and I I had the most fantastic four years where I only did her photography. We drank copious amounts of Cristal Champagne. Well, lucky <laughs> you man. After we've done the shoot, though. You um, get to hang out with Elizabeth Montgomery. That's a beautiful woman. That's that's a pretty oh, good she thing. Was stunning. I do tend to fall in love with some of my clients. Uh, like, uh, well, let's see, there's three. There's Princess Margaret, who I had a crush on, Angelica Houston, and Elizabeth Montgomery. And so what's the f- two photos you would have gotten rid of? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I'm not telling you. I've never told anybody. Even Michelle doesn't know. There's two I don't quite like. Well... <laughs> Okay. I've never told anybody, and I'm doing my autobiography soon, and I'm not even going to put it in the book then, because I'm sure Beatles fans will be burning effigies of me. Actually, they won't, because <laughs> they'll probably pick it for you. So um, I want to talk about my favorite picture in the whole book, and I, it's probably yours, too. It's the, what you call the Nowhere Man uh, photo, oh, yeah, where me. the guy is sleeping. Looks like he's reading yeah. a paper, but he's actually asleep. And the Beatles are, two of them are sitting next to him. Paul's looking over his shoulder, yeah. and John's in the back. This is an album cover 
without even trying. It's a, br- it's a brilliant photograph, and everyone says, "Who's the nowhere man?" And I said, "In real, it's me." <laughs> what I do, I try to keep out the way. I don't try to push. If what's happening is happening, uh, when I photograph people, say so what you like. So I'm bossy but nice. So I tend to cajole people. And as you've gathered by how much I speak, I usually <laughs> talk them to death. <laughs> when I photographed Dustin Hoffman, he said, "Oh my God!" He said, "You go on and on." I said, "Yes, but look, once you gave in, I've got fantastic photographs of you." <laughs> and that's that's my trick. They give in. They don't show me the face they want to show but the nowhere man first of all you've got George and Ringo exactly the same pose right Paul is looking over the old man's shoulder it looks like Paul's looking at his dad <laughs> it does. in the background yeah you've got John Lennon and one, one of the other pictures we've got, which is in the gallery in New York, is, is down at the Soho Contemporary Art Gallery still, is a 3D version. Now, something spooky happened to when we were in New York, because Andrew's there with the first of his sculptures. And as we went past this, we noticed no one moves in the 3D version except John Lennon. Oh. And he walked past it, John moves. And we all went, oh, my God, we've never seen that before. The picture was done three or four years ago for a show in London. But it's still there. As you walk past it, John changes his face. Wow. How did you do the you 3D did process? Back your neck, stand up, and we're all going, ah! <laughs> but how did you do that? How did you do the 3D process? It's done, it's a, called a lenticular lens. Okay. So do it in a special way, and we're looking at doing others. It's quite funny. If you go up to it, you can actually put your hand behind the flowers, because in the hollyhocks. Yeah, yeah. It's very bizarre. <laughs> Hmm. But it's fantastic. Now speaking, I've never done the one, but it was so strange to see it when I was in New York. That when you move from left to right, John Lennon's face moves. Now technically, it's impossible. Yeah, we don't know why it happens, <laughs> but it, it does. So if you pop down to Soho Contemporary Art Gallery in New York in the Bowery, you can have a look at it. So you said hollyhocks. You'll let you have a look at it. You, you mentioned the hollyhocks and the. There's that one picture of Paul and the Hollyhocks glaring. Can you tell us how you got that one? Well, because he and I had this game, because I tend to watch people at the corners of my eyes, I was watching what he was doing, even though I'm looking straight on. And when he did the first shot, where he's looking to one side, he realized that I was watching him, and he turned and glared at me. The same when he's spouting water. He realized I was watching out the corner of my eye, and the next lot of water came all over my camera, <laughs> which I still have. It's a 1967 Nikon F. I still have it. I used it. I took some photographs in New York with it. I'll take some photographs when I go up to Beatles Week in uh, Liverpool next week. Not next week, the week after. Yeah. But again, you, you said that, the, you know, they're pushing or trying to save Paul. I don't know. It's funny. I don't know whether they're George and John are pushing Paul off the ledge at that point or saving him. But no matter what, it's a great shot. But they oh, all Paul seem... Paul was actually slipping because he was wearing leather shoes. Okay. And when we went there the other week, I forgot how small the plinth was. It literally is big enough for the four boys to stand on. And at that time, there was a big drop because they had to go up on a scaffolding plank. And Paul was slipping on his leather shoes. And if you look how... That's why Andrew Edwards, the sculptor, loved it. You can see how hard... John Lennon's holding on to him right. and George and Ringo holding on to each other. It could have been a disaster. It could have been, but how is the mood of the boys? You said they all said they all made suggestions. So at a time when they were about to sort of split away from each other, it seemed like they were very playful in these shots. 
Oh, I think, to be quite honest, it's like you guys. If you suddenly had a day off and you could go anywhere and do what you liked, you could either go to the beach at Malibu or you could go up to Hollywood Bowl and sing. It's, it's one of those things. That when you take them out the stress of the studio, I donated a print at Abbey Road and I met Sir George Martin. And he said, oh, he said, I wanted to speak to you. And I said, I'd like to speak to you. So we shut each other up in one of the sound studios and turned the lights out. And everyone's looking for us. And I'm asking him, what's it like trying to do the music of John Lennon and Paul McCartney and the rest of it? And he's asking what it was like to photograph them. And he said John and Paul would come to him and say, can you do this? And when you see the recording equipment, it was so primitive. We've probably got more recording impetus and more energy in our mobile phones now. And he would go off and try to work it out. Right. And sadly, when he died, I was having an exhibition of my Beatles work here in Bury St. Edmunds. And we did a live broadcast, and I did seven nights of the show for seven charities. Wow. And I was doing this live broadcast for the BBC. And at the other end of the room, there's 200 people all drinking champagne, making fun of me, trying to make me laugh and giggle, and trying to be very serious. <laughs> so I just ignored them and stared in the camera. But it was just ironic. It was great to meet Sir George Martin. I mean, you know, he and... He and Epstein, between the two of them, they brought these boys together. And some of the best pictures in the world were the black and whites from Hamburg by Astrid Kirchner. Yes. Yeah. I missed out. She had an exhibition here and me, and I saw her picture. And I thought, oh, I should buy this. I'll do it later. Now they've been taken off the market. You know, they did their apprenticeship, all that work in Hamburg, sure. in the cavern in Matthew Street, where the walls were running with sweat and it was stunk of cigarettes. Someone said, what was it like? I said, well, if you were in the fifth row, you never saw who was playing because there was so much cigarette smoke and you came out smelling like an ashtray. <laughs> you could hear somebody playing. And I know the boys said that when they were at Shea Stadium... They couldn't hear what they were singing, even through the amp. No, they couldn't. Because of the noise and the screaming. Tom. I don't think there's anybody anywhere like it. Someone said, oh, well, there'll be a, a 50th anniversary of Justin Bieber. I said, no, I'm sorry. I said, that young man is a good smack bottom. No, they're, they're going to celebrate <laughs> him. He's the best. <laughs> anyway, Tom, I got a question for you. Which was the first picture you took of the Beatles? And which was the last the one? The one? Yes. Oh, the last one? Well, we were at, at Paul's house. My, uh, after I left the Sunday Times, I had a studio in St. John's Wood near Abbey Road, and Paul's house was down the road. And the last one is Paul and Ringo with his dog, Martha. Oh. And Martha, my dear, was written for his dog, Martha. And that's another one of my, what some people call my anal photographs, where Ringo's looking one way, Paul's there. It's all lined up, and it's, it's just slightly short of perfection. What was the first oh, the photo first you took? The ones Swain's Lane, because we couldn't get into the okay. cemetery in Highgate. Everything in London was closed in 1968. I mean, just think now, when, when Paul and James Corden went to Liverpool, by the time they came out of Paul's house, there were hundreds and hundreds of people there. But in those days, there were no mobile phones. Right. The only people that saw us were people that happened to drive by, and no one believed that it was the Beatles. Hmm. And when we were in the docks area, there was nobody living down there then. It was a real pioneering time. It was like the meat market in, in New York when they, all the meat market moved out before they put in the shishi apartments and all the rest of it. It's like areas of L.A. where people were pioneering. Right. And what I get cemetery still exists, Swain's Lane. The people there said sometimes they get lots of Japanese tourists coming outside their house dressed very bizarrely. Well, yeah. But you spoke of the docks. So there's that great shot of... Paul and Chains on the docks, 
which you recreate yeah, in the book as well. Now, sadly, because I got permission from the people that live there to go back. It's now very private. I just did a whole thing for Dutch TV, and they couldn't understand that not only was the area private, but Graham Norton, he has a house there. Dame Helen Mirren, who everyone knows played Her Majesty, she has a house there. And Frances Segelman, Lady Segelman, who's sculpted to Her Majesty the Queen, she lives there. But it's all private. And Dutch TV said, why can't we go down where you photographed? I said, well, if you look very carefully, the tides in and it's only three foot below the wall and I said I can't hold my breath that long she went oh the Thames goes up and down the march I said yes it does it goes up and down 20-30 feet at a time well, how did Paul get in chains, though? The album will come out in November when the White Album comes out. I think everyone's looking forward to the re-release of the White Album. Sure. Oh, it's one of everyone's favorite albums. But how did but you get Paul to... favorite Beatles tracks. Well, how did you get Paul to do the chains thing, though? He just did it on his own. A lot really? of it was their ideas. And, in fact, Paul... Oh, I don't know if I can tell you this. Paul asked for a copy of that for, for Heather. Nice. Well, I wonder if it's got parts of its anatomy cut off or holes in it. Or... <laughs> when I gave a talk and I mentioned Heather's name, everyone groaned and I went, oh, come on. I said, Heather Mills stopped you all hating Yoko Ono. Everyone cheered. <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> <laughs> wow. But I never said that. No, I never heard that. I never heard it. But it's oh, funny. I heard that. Oh, God, yes. Everyone was thrilled when Heather Mills took all the pain and suffering away from Yoko Ono. Maybe in that photo, Heather might have, well, for a year or so, she did have other things in chains of his, so maybe... Oh, I couldn't, as, as they say in, in, in Apostle, I couldn't obviously comment on that. No, obviously not. So, um, it wasn't the last time you had photographed certain Beatles. You photographed the Beatles after that 1968 session. It, right? You, I mean, yeah, what I some did, of them. What happened at the Sunday Times, Ringo designed some furniture, and I, I was asked by the Sunday Times to photograph it, but he wasn't there, and we photographed it in this area, and I put up this big black drop and covered the ceiling with gaffer tape, and as some film people who know when you take gaffer tape off, you have to be careful. And we took big lumps out of his ceiling. Oh, jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's forgiven us, but the great thing about Paul and Ringo, they've signed my prints, it's helped raise thousands for charity. My own signature raises thousands for charity. And someone said, well, why did you do it? I said, well, I started when I photographed Princess Margaret. I sent money to her charities. And then after the thing in L.A. that, uh, that I was, David Hockney got me into, I realized the power of them. And the last one we had was the Nordorf Robbins charity here, which is a music charity for, for children. We raised nearly £10,000 for one prince. That's amazing. So always, whatever we have an exhibition, we always try and give a donation to charity because uh, to me it was a, it was a gift from God to have these pictures, and I'm very grateful to the John Paul George and Ringo. I'm thrilled I've got such fantastic pictures, and hopefully I'll see everybody in at Beatles Week in Liverpool shortly. I'll be the white-haired, bearded, short, fat one. <laughs> we, we, we'll, we'll, I wish we could be there. They've got cheap flights. Well, you know, I've been to Liverpool. Mitch's been to Liverpool. Uh, my question is, has 
Apple, the Beatles company, I assume you own the copyrights on your photos. Have they tried to buy yes, them out I'm for you? I'm very lucky in that way. Have they tried to buy very, them from you? I'm very lucky. They're, my, they're mine for my lifetime plus 75 years. And as I've just moved into a new flat, it's right next to two funeral homes. So I'm not <laughs> sure if someone's trying to tell me something. I've also had two Lifetime Achievement Awards, so I'm not sure. Am I being pushed? <laughs> I hope direction? not. Well, I hope not either. Well, I want to ask you other questions. As a professional photographer, some of the other people who've taken pictures of the Beatles, I'd like you just to maybe talk about Robert Freeman, Linda McCartney. Some of his stuff is really fantastic. I did of the Beatles stuff with him. I mean, some of his stuff is really great. When I saw his the, the butcher cover and so on, and the, the Avedon portraits are wonderful. Now, nowadays, I don't think we get that kind of access. I mean, if I was asked to photograph, say, someone like Justin Bieber, I'd be lucky to get five minutes. There'd be 30 people in the way. Whereas with the Beatles, we spent the whole day. We finished up like 7 o'clock at night. When I would photograph Elizabeth Montgomery, I'd get hours. When I photographed Angelica Houston, we'd have a day. Some of the great photographers from the film companies, they would have Joan Crawford for three days with wow. hair and makeup. And wire hangers. <laughs> and wire hangers. <laughs> well, 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 Tom, if you were to take pictures of Justin Bieber, maybe he'll be me- remembered in 50 years. Well, it would, be, it would be great, but you need to get rid of every, all those hangers on. And because I still shoot film, the trick is no one knew what I was doing, but I saw it in my head. What happens now is people put it off in digital, and the sitter wants to see the image. Then they change their pose to how they want to look. Right. And also, you have to direct people. I've watched people before. They just snap away. You have to talk to them. And I talk to them till they just give in. Ask about when they give in, I get to see them as I say. I like anyone sitting for me as a woman to look very attractive, regardless of her age. I like the men to look very masculine. Because I was taught in a certain way, I can like the women and the men separately. Right. But you've got to get that cohesion. I mean, I recently criticized the pictures of uh, Prince Harry and Meghan. (laughs) The guy worked for Tostini. The the pictures are horrible. He doesn't know how to pose people. Meghan was crunched into Prince Harry. It's a way of putting people together. Right. benefits both of them but that's all gone i mean lord snowden was taught that way so cecil beaton who did my fair lady he did that we were all taught that way and it's a way of putting people at their ease even if you're taking a photograph of someone's face it's what's happening with their feet right realize that if you're sitting with your legs crossed it puts tension through your body Sure. But no one teaches that anymore. They all think they can fix it in Photoshop or whatever. Screw that. I must admit, I do have Photoshop on my computer, but I can't figure out how it works. <laughs> <laughs> I can't even switch it on. Um, Ringo, okay. out of all the Beatles, is probably the best photographer, uh, and he's actually put yes, out a photograph very, very book. Uh, I was wondering what you thought of his process as a photographer, and did he like gra- try to grab your camera at one point and say, hey, let me take a picture? No, no, he no. was very good, actually. We had a bit of a laugh and a giggle. What you want to ask, and I'll tell you this exclusively, Paul McCartney shot a lot of film over the years of his years with the Beatle. Right. I cannot wait to see if that's ever released. Wow. He was very good. He had a cinema camera, shot loads of film. That film could be phenomenal. Are you talking about... Six... You realize the access he's got. I've never uh, seen it. Are you talking I've about, uh, about c- camera film, or are you talking uh, about moving pictures? 
Movie, movie film. Oh, oh, okay, okay. Well, can you imagine? It must be sensational. We hope so. Yeah, wow. it could be incredible. Right, so the I mean, top- most artistic people have a certain eye. Yeah. W- w- one more question. Uh, any of your pictures going to be in the re-release of the White Album? Have they approached I'm you about sure. that? I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not sure. You'd have to ask Michelle. Okay. Michelle okay. says, go, I go. She says, stay, I stay. Okay. A, a, a very obedient puppy. So, a very old puppy now. <laughs> speaking of your, but speaking of your photos... Where can people purchase them? I, I think we have TomMurrayPhotos.com. Yeah. You can get them through there. Okay. Or if they're in New York, they could pop down to the Soho Contemporary Gallery and ask for Rick. Okay. And you'll see the pictures. They are absolutely fabulous. Um, Anthony, uh, Andrew Edwards has a fantastic bust of John and Yoko, little miniature statue. Yep. He's got miniature statues of the uh, Liverpool, and he's also got the first ever miniature statue of the four boys at Old Street Station. But they have them all there, and they look incredible. And the 3D photo? 24 and 30 by 40. And the 3D photo is still there as well? The 3D print is still there. So as you walk by, you'll watch that John Lennon moves his head. Wow. Which right. is very spooky. <laughs> so the book is <laughs> called... It's not supposed to happen. <laughs> the book is called uh, The Beatles' Mad Day Out, ACC Publishing. Yeah, that's it. Uh, Tom Murray Mom Photos. Said, what did you do? I said, I photographed the Beatles. I said, what was it like? So it was a mad day out. Well, I was going to ask you, though, I was going to save that, but who actually came up with the title of Mad Day Out? Oh, me. You did. Literally, when I got home, I had to leave my... Because I, I lived in London, in the middle of Bryanson Square, next to Lord Montague Bewley and worked in the Sunday night. I couldn't keep my Jag there. So I took my Jag back home. I had a red XK150. And my mum said, what do you do? I said, I threw off the Beatles and shut the door. And she screamed and yelled. She said, what was it like? I said, it's been a mad day out. I said, I've been all over London with the Beatles. Wow. And then a friend of mine, Penny, who'd come with me the week before, and I was photographing a Rolls Royce for the Sunday night. Times, and we got soaked. It chucked it down. I had this beautiful picture of a dark green Rolls Royce covered in rain near the Tower of London, which was fabulous. And I phoned Penny and I said, oh, guess what I did today? She said, I don't want to know. She said, I got a cold from last week. I said, all right. Then I said, I threw off the Beatles and put the phone down. <laughs> <laughs> she's never forgiven me. Oh, man. She's now in her 60s. <laughs> well, this, uh, this, Tom, this has been a blast. Again, the book is called The Beatles Mad Day Out, ACC Publishing, yep. Tom Murray Photos. Com. You'll yep. again. You've now. Hopefully, you know his name, people. Uh, but you definitely know his photos. So go get the book. Go if you're in New York, or a lot of our listeners are. Go pop into the Soho Contemporary Gallery. And we're in New York. And, yeah, and we're in New York. Just say I told them so. Ab- absolutely. <laughs> so we appreciate you being here, Tom. Thank you so much for the time. Oh, you're very- I mean, if you ever come over to Beatles Week, it's a blast. Oh, we can't. Yeah, we want to. We want to get there. Such incredible fans that are so knowledgeable. If you're in New York, please call us. We'd love to hang out with you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, probably, I might be coming back. Uh, to be honest, I might be coming back in November for the re-release of the White Album. Okay, then we it's will. Not confirmed uh, yet? But I'll, that's on uh, on the back burner. We'll talk to we Michelle. We would love, love yeah, to hang out with you. We'll talk to Michelle about uh, getting together. Yeah, so let her. She knows where I'm going because she tells me where to go. Oh, go right. Here, go there. Do this. <laughs> All right. Really nice. Well, this has been a really great edition of the Fab Four Free For All. I have been your moderator, Mitch Axelrod, and joining me, as he always has, Rob and, Leonard. And we wish Tony uh, the very best of health. Uh, we wish he was here because he would have had a blast. And we wish we want to just tell our guest, Tom Murray, thank you so much for the time. We appreciate it. Go buy his book and go look at the photos. And uh, that's it for this episode. And we'll see you next time. Fab Four Free For All was edited and produced by Tony Chiguardo at Word of Mouth Studios in Westbury, New York. 
The opening and closing theme is My Dolly by the band The Badge, featuring longtime listener Jeff Slate, available on its debut album Digital Retro and recent Best Of compilation, as well as from the Fab Four Free For All website. Thanks for listening to Fab Four Free For All.